clear and large majority of people, including gun owners, support background checks, a mandatory waiting period for purchases, and an assault weapon ban. It's popular. Hi, welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. Join us. So, nearly every day we hear about gun violence, whether it's person to person out on the street, a mass shooting, suicide, domestic violence, or whatever. It impacts communities and families every day. It's depressing because we feel so helpless about it. What could possibly be done about guns when the NRA is so powerful? Well, we're going to talk about that because it's frustrating since gun violence is the leading cause of premature death in the United States, and it's a preventable public health problem. It is most noticeable when a lot of people die at once, but no matter how many are injured or die, it's a serious trauma for a lot of people. Families, schools, businesses, just tons of trauma. Yes, and some mass shootings galvanize the nation and many violent acts bring renewed calls to regulate guns, gun sales, and ownership. Yeah, but as everyone's aware, because it's so frustrating, we don't ever seem to fully address and follow through on meaningful measures to decrease the violence. In an average year in our country, Over 35,000 people die from gun violence, and tens of thousands more don't die, but are traumatized and or injured as survivors of gun violence. Or family members or observers. It just goes on and on. Yes. And the violence disproportionately affects communities of color. Black men are 13 times more likely than white men to be killed by a gun. And Black children die from gun-related homicides 10 times more than white children. Wow, those are big numbers. That's amazing. So Cindy, why? Why is it so hard to enact sensible gun laws? Most of the people in this country want them. It just seems to make so much sense to at least be reducing easy access to dangerous weapons by banning high capacity magazines and bump stocks, requiring universal background checks, cutting out some of the loopholes, having waiting periods, reinstituting an assault weapons ban. Why can't we at least do that? Why would any civilian need an assault weapon? They don't. They did just pass a possible assault weapons ban through the House, but of course, like everything else, it's it's not likely to pass ultimately. No, the Senate will shoot it down. Because we can't seem to take even obvious steps to reduce firearm access to youth and adults at risk of self-harm or of harming others. Why? It makes obvious sense to keep guns away from those who have been violent, and there are ways to do so. For example, we could expand psychological lethal weapons testing and background checks and support domestic violence bills and restraining orders. I have a colleague who does give this test called the MMPI, which is a big, long test for those who don't know it, about personality so that 
he gives it to people who are applying for jobs where they would have to carry a gun. Now, if they have a job that they have to carry a gun for, and so they take this big, long test, how come an 18-year-old who's mentally unstable can walk into a gun store and just buy one? That is a million-dollar question. Probably really is a million-dollar question because it's the money that's, you know, the answer. Multi-million. Yeah. Yes. So while people get energized at certain points, you know, everyone gets upset when there's a bass shooting, the vast majority of recent gun reform measures have all failed. The bills just don't move far enough in the House or Senate to end up on the president's desk. Meanwhile, NRA priorities have gained momentum, such as being permitted to carry concealed handguns around town and even across state lines. The supremely stupid court recently struck down a law in New York so that people can carry handguns in public. Why? Well, we've talked about the National Rifle Association's the NRA's supposed 5 million member base, its enormous financial contributions, and its influence on our political process in an NRA podcast episode, and also when we explored dark money. The NRA pushes its agenda wherever and however it can. In addition to its gun-related legislation, the NRA has lobbied against efforts to shine a light on secret spending and politics and against anything that would even potentially touch the profit of the gun industry, even at the cost of many people and lives. Many blame the National Rifle Association and its huge amount of political spending on the poor decisions or lack of movement on gun reform by our elected decision makers who are supposed to not be influenced like that. Absolutely. It's obvious that too many of them are beholden to the NRA and they're afraid of its influence in their re-election. Right. That's not a democratic value. I think we call that corruption. Yes, we do. Many of the laws we think seem like just common sense to protect lives are the antithesis of what the gun industry wants because they'll affect their bottom line. They want to see as many people as possible eligible to guide guns as quickly and easily as possible. Interestingly, surveys show that about three out of four NRA members actually support universal criminal background checks for all gun sales, a policy that the NRA itself strongly opposes. In fact, many opinions of NRA members don't necessarily match what the organization promotes. No, the NRA's policy and lobbying priorities seem much more to reflect the priorities of the gun industry, which spends millions advertising in NRA publications. The NRA bombards members with constant news that vilifies political opponents and reinforces a feeling that the freedom of gun ownership is under attack. This is partly how they solidify their base and helps them band together to vote for organizational recommendations for more gun access. Spending by the pro-gun lobby also is way more than that of groups that are favoring more tighter gun laws. And a lot of the NRA contributions, as in tens of millions, flow through what's called the Institute for Legislative Action, which is actually an arm of the NRA that keeps its donors secret because it can. It's not required to disclose them. Thanks again, Supremely Stupid Court, for making corruption easier. Some solutions toward gun reform, given the NRA influence then, will have to include some seemingly indirect ones like making voting more fair and accessible and changing the way we pay for political campaigns so that politicians aren't beholden to a wealthy few. 
This is so critical in addressing the real needs of the public rather than the interests of the wealthy who are really out of touch with community needs. Yeah, they're not the ones being gunned down. Democracy requires strong transparency and disclosure laws so that everyone knows, and this again makes me think of our dark money episode, everyone knows who's funding political campaigns. Exactly. So this becomes a lot about our elections and making sure that everyone has an equal voice in decisions affecting our lives. As a recent podcast episode we did also on voting laws shows, we're still struggling hard with this one. Some policies to tighten gun laws have broad support, including from gun owners, many of whom are actually responsible people. Why not engage responsible gun dealers and owners in solutions and ideas about training, licensing, and safe use and storage? For example, a clear and large majority of people, including gun owners, support background checks, a mandatory waiting period for purchases, and an assault weapon ban is popular. It also turns out that 5% of gun dealers sell 90% of the guns used in crimes. They should be held accountable to a code of conduct and the same rules as everyone else. I like that idea. They do hold some of the culpability, kind of like a drug dealer. States can pass their own laws requiring sellers to obtain licenses. They can maintain records of sales, submit to inspections, and fulfill other requirements. I think people would still buy guns. Yeah. Unlike other industries, gun companies have special legal protections against liability. They're immune from lawsuits. Immune from lawsuits? Yes. Congress passed an assault weapons ban in 1994 and then allowed it to expire in 2004. Then the following year, George W. Bush signed the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act, which protects corporations that manufacture and sell weapons from any liability when their products harm people. Thank you, corrupt presidents and inadequate congressmen. What about repealing gun industry immunity laws in states that have them and resisting their enactment in states that don't have these immunity laws already? So in the absence of legislative action, organizations are increasingly divesting from companies that manufacture firearms and consumers are pressuring companies directly. Now that's a hopeful thing. It would be great if this were more widespread. Yes, we try to push out some hope in here. And doing that is having an effect by encouraging at least some manufacturers and retailers to set new policies about what they sell to the public and or who they sell to. There are other things we can do too. We can realize that since this is happening, we need to help the people it's happening to. Yes. We know as psychologists, we can do a lot more to recognize trauma in the community, in individuals, develop trauma-informed protocols, including for law enforcement and support healing for people who have experienced the trauma of gun violence. So there was a recent shooting on South Street in Philadelphia, a popular local and tourist gathering place. And we saw that someone posted a couple days later, something like, hey, the community needs help. People are traumatized here and nobody is talking to us about what happened. Please help us. That was a very upsetting incident. All the while, we also have to be able to research and develop strategies to prevent gun violence. The CDC has been restricted in researching this, but we can definitely identify risk factors and protective factors in order to proactively take a stand. 
against gun violence. For example, we know that impulsive anger is linked to gun violence. There are positive ways to help people with impulsive anger. People identified with this issue are at greater risk for violence and working with them can be part of the solution. Instead of the current approach to violence that uses the justice system so heavily, we could be encouraging fuller collaboration between public health and primary care providers, behavioral health care, schools, and faith-based institutions. Community trauma can result from experiencing violence and can also increase the likelihood of more violence. If we improved public spaces, promoted community healing, and fostered economic stability, it would all have an impact on helping to decrease further violence. Absolutely. And it seems so obvious, but we have to keep saying it. Some other things we already know include the fact that lack of employment opportunities increases the risk of gun violence and economic opportunity protects against it. How logical is that? Equitable access to education programs, job training and employment programs with mentorships for residents of neighborhoods that have concentrated disadvantage, especially young people. They've all been shown to be effective in reducing, obviously, reducing gun violence. Along these lines, biased policing would also need to be addressed. That's true. Investing more in communities could help promote resilience and better mental health. Mental illness is not ever to blame for our country's high rate of gun violence. In fact, people with mental illness are more likely to be victims of violence than perpetrators. But we know we can absolutely do more to foster mental health and well being in places that need it the most in this country. That might mean things like focusing on suicide prevention, a sense of community belonging, feelings of security in a community, for example. Another point, the majority of men don't perpetrate gun violence, but the majority of people who use guns against other people and themselves are boys and men. So it would make sense to promote healthier norms about masculinity and addressing issues of power, control and privilege. These things could go a long way in helping to decrease violence. Yes, it's a good idea anyway, but it would certainly decrease violence. An interesting idea we read about includes paying attention to new developments for increasing gun safety and storage and new technologies offering alternatives to guns for self-protection to reduce perceived need for people that think they need to have a firearm for self-defense. Yeah, I really like that one. Our system is out of balance by the power of money. In this case, most especially by the gun lobby and weapons industry. It would be a lot of work to begin to have a real balance of power in our democratic processes, or even something that resembles that. Yeah, voters do, at least theoretically, hold power in a democracy. And organized voters have more power than unorganized ones. The NRA's influence and success includes very strong political organizing and very successful mobilizing of grassroots base. Whether NRA membership is as big and strong as they say it is, which many believe it isn't, it is perceived by lawmakers as a powerful force that can be mobilized to support or defeat them and any proposed legislation they might put forth. Yeah, still, we need to continue to organize to advance policies that will safeguard our communities from the crisis of gun violence. And we know our democracy is struggling with all of the above. 
So we have to consider and act on ways to shift power away from special interests like the NRA and empower the rest of us, our reasonable people, with common sense. And in the meanwhile, we have to do what we can, which starts with believing that we really can affect change. If you're interested in real plans to promote gun safety, you might want to start by following Everytown for Gun Safety at everytown.org. And basically, fewer guns means fewer gun death. It's that simple. End of story. Thanks for listening today. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at shrinksonthird. Until next time, take care.